0: You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, everybody. Everybody online, good morning. Glad you're with us. Um, So far, we are in the middle of uh, the sermon series called One of Another. Deacon Ryan has been unpacking this for us in the last couple of weeks. The first week, Ryan, he preached about the news of God making community out of those who are far off. The strangers, the aliens. God is gathering them around his son and making this beautiful community. This is a community that you're welcome to be a part of too. That God is inviting us not, I know sometimes we hear sermons and go, you know you should hear this sermon? It's talking about you. You are belonged, uh, welcome to belong in this community. Last week, Ryan, he also talked about trust in community and the role that this plays. And I really personally, as a clergy person and as a leader in a church, needed to hear a good message that as leaders, repentance is uh, common and normal and should be. And that actually when leaders and those in charge um, own up to, let the light shine on them and awake, oh sleeper, like Ryan was talking about, um, we create these spaces where others uh, will do the same and even our trust will be rebuilt among one another. That's a good word for the church and for me. Um, This week, um, and in all of this, Ryan has been asking, I love this, to discern, not just hear a sermon, but discern. Take your life as you have it. Take our community as we have it. Let's do the work of discerning and say so what's my role here what's going on here Lord what are you saying to me this morning we're looking at second Corinthians chapter 9 that you just heard read and we're going to consider the role of generosity in community um, but before I jump in and I know even when I say that um, people are thinking oh great all <laughs> right anybody else no nobody okay now just here it comes uh, I want to acknowledge the elephant in the room about this, and I think it's good and healthy that we do, that whenever stewardship or giving or generosity is taught in the church, so often, too often, sadly, it has been taught so poorly. And that is not your fault. That is the fault of the church and those clergymen and, or, and women who are preaching and teaching the Bible and in doing so in a way that's just not like Jesus so often. Um, And I own that as well. And so I can understand that when I say generosity, people have, ah, this triggers me. I get a little bit nervous. Um, There's a reason for that. And I I understand this has been so coercively applied in churches sometimes. um, That most folks, they don't hear about money as good news, but they hear it as bad news. This is going to be a bad news kind of thing. We might hear even passages like in scripture. God loves a cheerful giver and think, oh no, here it comes. Um, and we just cringe or we're suspicious or we're anxious. Um, and we already start to play this script in our head about how we're going to like push back or defend or explain ourselves in some way. And I just wanna say to all of you, uh, that's you, you don't have to do that this morning. I'm not gonna come at you, you're safe. Um, and I do think there's actually good news about our money and we're gonna talk about that. But please, um, I give you permission, take a deep breath. Uh, and realize that we're in the presence of God and in his kingdom, and we have nothing to be afraid of here. And I do think, and I'm genuinely, I'm speaking from the heart here, Jesus has good news for us about our wealth. I really believe he does. Not just our heads, not just consenting to a set of beliefs, not just our hearts are consenting to certain wants, but actually also our wallets. And we're a world that needs to be delivered from the idolatry of wealth. And power in this way and friends we can't do it unless we can follow Jesus with our wealth as well anybody with me all right we'll do it all right so here we go so take a deep breath here we go Um, let's jump into the text in second Corinthians chapter 9 and for a bit of context about this particular chapter in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth He was gathering money for this church in Jerusalem that had experienced a famine and some severe poverty. And so he was gathering up the churches to chip in some money to bring relief to this community. And he was praising these churches in Macedonia who had, from their own poverty, pulled together this offering to give to Paul, to give to Jerusalem, to relieve this church. But Corinth, this church in Corinth, was having some problems. It was having some trouble. And as Paul explained in chapter 2, they had been kind of preoccupied and caught up by um, what Paul calls, quote, peddlers of God's word. These were smooth-talking, wealthy-looking folks who would come in, preach a fiery sermon, and pass the basket around. And there was something about their intention that Paul notices is like they're, they're not... They're not really ministers of the gospel if they're peddling God's word. Even now I can think, yeah, we, we've seen this before, haven't we? Paul's got something to say. Preachers, if if anybody, I don't know why any preacher would ever be watching this, but <laughs> Paul's got something to say to us. And not only that, but this church in Corinth, not only were they preoccupied with these kinds of peddlers, but they were embarrassed at Paul, who was poor. Did you know Paul was poor? He wasn't very polished. He was self-admittedly like not a good talker, not a good speaker. He was often homeless and had some run-ins in prison, in and out of prison, okay? Like this is Paul. And so this community was embarrassed by Paul. But Paul has something to say about that. He says to this church, your preoccupation with wealth and appearance is foolish and it's blind in chapter four. And in stark contrast to the embarrassment of Paul and the and the preoccupation with wealth and appearance and power and smooth talking, in contrast to this, and here's this is the central part of this message, the glory of God can be seen, Paul says, quote, in the face of Jesus Christ, chapter 4, verse 6. You think you know what you're looking for, what's good and true and beautiful, but if it's not seen in the face of Jesus, it's not the glory of God. Be as smooth talking as you want. If you want to see the glory of God, you look at the face of Jesus Christ. And notice this about Jesus. Let's just take inventory. He was not wealthy either, was he? He wasn't well dressed. He probably looked pretty poor and lowly. And if that wasn't enough, he was crucified. Which was this most public humiliation under the empire. Totally mocked, spat on, and beaten. This was Jesus. This is the glory of God? Yeah, that's what Paul says. So while the world gets busy building up its vanity with greed and selfishness, God is busy building his kingdom through the self-giving love that we can see in HD clarity in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Look how different, look how stark those two things are. These are very different things. Self-ishness and self-givingness that we see in God through Jesus. Now, all of this, I'm giving you context. I haven't even got to our text yet, but this is so important. All this leads to Paul's challenge in chapter 9 to the church in Corinth. To be ready and intentional about following Jesus in his way, even in generosity to be like God in generosity as well. Not like the world, but like the self-giving love that we see in Jesus. Not out of compulsion or guilt, Paul says. Not out of pressure or shame as the world forces upon us about generosity. But in verse five, this is what Paul says. Arranged in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift. Not as an exaction. Willing, ready. This is very different than the kind of selfishness we find in the world, the kind of fear and control. This is a different kind of giving, isn't it? Not out of compulsion or shame, but prepared, willing, voluntarily generous. Now, St. Paul lays it out plainly in the next verse. Let me read just a few verses just to make it fresh for us. In verse 6, he says, and I love it. When you see this in the text, you should pay attention. The point is this, okay, attention. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's a different context, isn't it? And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you hear this theme of the generosity and the abundance of God at work? What Paul is offering to these people, this invitation to the abundance of God in his kingdom, in contrast to what the world is pushing on these people and on us. Within the context, then, of God's grace, His over-the-top, freely given love to us. In the context of the abundance of God, who is never in lack, mind you. In light of everything we see when we look at the face of Jesus. In light of God's innumerable mercies applied to you, even while you were yet still sinners. Sinners. In other words, in light of all of this scandalous and uncomfortable generosity given to us, Paul is now saying, now you, you must decide. You have to decide. You have to discern. Make up your mind already in your heart. If your life will resemble this generosity of God as well. It's not going to just happen by accident, and it's not magic. We actually have a decision here to make. Do I want my life to be inclined to the generosity of God or not? What Paul's saying in verse 6 about sowing and reaping, what you sow. Like, if you sow more, you, you get more. If you reap, what is he? I'm, I'm screwing it up already. Reap sparingly. sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully, you reap bountifully, right? We might read this and think, okay, so this is sort, sort of like I give, he gives, No, let me correct this real quick. It is not that God will only bless us if we give him something first. That's never been the case. You're not here because you did something. You're here because of the radical, unmerited favor of God that has broken through time and space to get a hold of you and God to say to you, I love you, come closer to me, meet my son Jesus. You're here because God loved you first, period. And now... You can also participate in this grace of God and this giving of God at work in our lives. Or you can decide not to. That's what Paul's bringing before us. This decision we have. Verse 8 shows us a little bit more. God is able to make all grace abound in you. Having everything you ever need. That is available to you. This is good news, friends. This is good news as kind of the, the place, the reality that we set our feet in and say, what world am I living in? What's, what's most true about the world and the reality I'm living in? You live in a world in which God is gracious and lavishly generous to you, first and foremost. And now you get to decide what to do about that world that you're living in. He is, not a, or he is a God of abundance, not scarcity. He invites us to share in the same. And if this is true, we need to decide for ourselves if we are actually going to intentionally make decisions in our real life, not just in our hearts, lest we fool ourselves. We have to make decisions about our real lives, about what we're going to do with what we've been given. And if you're anything like me, who is like sometimes a little too smart for his own good, he thinks, right? Um, And with a heart haunted by scarcity constantly, You actually have to make some real disciplined decisions, acts of repentance. Now, this is kind of, I think, what Paul is offering to us as a church to look in on this letter to Corinth and say, okay, Rez, so let's us decide. I want to talk about three things that I think as a church we can really practically um, incline ourselves to and decide for ourselves here as a church. One important thing that I want to point out, though, here, first of all, is... Uh, about tithing. What is tithing? It's the spiritual practice of people giving 10% of their income, which is a huge chunk of change, 10% of your income. Do the math right now. Yeah. 10% is a lot of money. Even if you don't got a lot, 10% feels like even more actually. And the church decides intends itself to to practice this spiritual discipline as a response to the generosity of God as an act of worship. You see it even on Sunday, even vividly when I raise those baskets. I'm praying to myself, Lord, bless the fruits of these people's labor. Bless them, Lord. Bless these. Let, may they be multiplied for your kingdom's sake. Bless them, Lord. Have a little like me time up here, charismatic moment. I'm just asking for God's blessing on that basket and everyone's labor. It is this responsive worship to God, of his inexpressible gift, as Paul said. And as a way of intentionally deciding in our hearts, this is, this is so valuable to me that I want to worship God with it. This is such an important part of my life that I want to follow Jesus in this area as well. When we say in the liturgy, um, and I say to you, lift up your hearts, and you all say, we lift them up to the Lord. That includes our wallets. I sometimes imagine, like, because our wallets kind of close in over our hearts, that some may even think, I'm just going to leave my wallet on the seat as I stand for communion. I'll offer everything else up. But, friends, I want to tell you the good news you don't have to do that. You don't have to be afraid. You can follow Jesus with your wallets, too. So this is one of those spiritual practices as a community that we decide, yeah, we're going to do this. And if you hear this and you're like, oh my gosh, 10%, I can't do that. Don't forget the 10% for a second here and just meditate on the fact that you have an opportunity to decide for yourself, Lord, I want to worship you with my money. Where can I start? Maybe I start at half percent or something. I don't know. No one's going to come hunt you down. This is not what this is about. This is just kind of a reference point for us to say, I want to grow in this way. So Lord, with my life as I have it, with my budget and my circumstances as I have I want to worship you with what I've got help me help me Lord and then grow that generosity in me as a church we've said and that kind of like the goal for us is as a, as a basis of generosity we want to shoot for like 10% as a community that's what we've decided so if you're not there it's okay begin to make it a priority start making a plan start with something and if you need any help or ever want to talk about it come talk to me I don't know anything about who gives here so we, it can even be anonymous it's fine All right, second thing, for those who have actually been hurt by uh, manipulative teaching around money, um, not only in the church, but let's be honest, in the world, we live in this world saturated with greed, a society that demands that you give something in order to be worth something, or at least, uh, or sometimes even in churches, a preacher who unfurls abusive tactics to get you to give, it feels like coercive, it often is sometimes. Unfortunately, I want you to hear the good news of the kingdom of God in the world you're living in. And maybe if you're replaying bad sermons in your head, I want you to hear the good news of the kingdom of God. God is not transactional. God is not transactional, meaning his grace is not dependent on you giving something like we said, something or not giving something. His grace won't be withheld on some sort of condition. His love does not have a condition for you. He does not act like, it's not some sort of divine Coke machine. You put in your money and you get your soda. That is not, that's a transaction. That's not how a relationship with God works. His love cannot be bought, nor can it be added to for you. It's already there. I want you to hear this as a word of healing in a world that tells you otherwise. God loves you just as you are. He loves you. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to add to it. He's shown and proven his love again and again. He loves you. And he gives to you freely and from abundance because he loves you. And he wants to make you as generous as he is. That may look like for you guys right now, some of you who are wounded, just may look like a season of healing, letting the Lord love and heal on you for a little bit. But I'm warning you, He's not going to leave you in your place of scarcity and fear and wounding. He will bring healing and he will make you into this radically hospitable, generous person like his son. That's the plan. Because there's good news in that. There's life in that. There's freedom in that. There's relief in that. Third thing. Everyone is invited to discern what we are sowing with our wealth this morning. Just thinking about think about wealth like power, for instance. It can it's not bad in and of itself, but it can be used in selfish ways or in selfless ways, self-giving ways. How do you use the power God has given you? Take account for that. How do you use the power of wealth that God has entrusted to your care? By the way, you think you earn your paycheck, and I know y'all work hard, but these are the gifts of God. All things come from you, O Lord, and of your own have we given you. How are you using stewarding the wealth God has given and entrusted to your care we read in Joshua 24 this invitation to put away the self-serving gods um, of Egypt those gods that we used to serve put those away maybe that God might be money or greed or fear or scarcity put those away so that with sincerity you might fear the Lord and be able to serve him even with your money we can discern for ourselves, for instance, here's a good question Is there anything about my budget, my bank statement, that resembles the generosity of God? Is there anything about my plan to spending, the way I use my money, that resembles the grace and generosity of God? That's a good place to begin. I know that when Michelle and I were first married, um, we were. Poor, and then I got a great job, and we were not poor, and it was really hard for us to be generous with our money because we were like poor college kids for a long time. We had kids, we had bills, y'all, uh, and we were living in California, which was not cheap. And I remember struggling with this. And we actually, there's a pastor of our church came up, sat down, and said, "Sean, look, you guys are like serving in youth ministry. You're you're just fine and all these places to serve. So much about you is like it just res- resembles the gifts of God." I don't understand why are you not giving anything to this church and I was I was I was confronted that was such a good call and I said you know honestly I don't have an excuse I was just afraid I I didn't think there would be enough for me or already feel behind how can how possibly can God work in my money and it was this opportunity that I I'd known about but I intentionally didn't go there because I just didn't want to I didn't want to go there, but someone invited me to consider, why don't you follow Jesus with that part of your life too? Oh, so helpful. So we did. It wasn't easy. Um, often at times, I, it felt like a protest to me. I felt like an act of defiance where I was like, I'm so sick of not being able to follow Jesus with my money. I'm so sick of being afraid of not having enough money. Honey, let's just give 10% of the church and see what happens, which I don't know if that's always a responsible thing to do. But for where I was at, I just felt like it was felt like defiance. I wanted to live in the generous kingdom of God. I wanted to become a person who trusted Jesus with everything, and I was so sick of making excuses for myself, not to. It's still costly for our family to give, so I'm not speaking to you as someone who's like, "You guys should give, but you know, we'll stay out of it." No. I want to get in on this act of worship. I too want to follow Jesus. It's not easy for me. I still worry. I still get concerned and stressed out about money, Um, but I know that this act of discipline, this intentional act, it like works on us, doesn't it? It works on us. We find that by the grace of God, maybe step by step, we're becoming more and more like Jesus, even in this area in our life. Now, generosity, uh, like the small bit that we have, when you see that in concert in a community, Oh, wow. It just starts to come alive. Our church is really generous. There's so many people who give sacrificially. And the amount of things, that, the amount of ministry, the amount of needs we're able to meet, what we're able to do as a community, we get to see money as good news working in our lives and in the lives of each other and in our neighborhood. When the whole people of God follow Jesus with their money, big surprise, the kingdom of God is breaking in. It is good news indeed. Instead of being captive to scarcity or greed this morning, all of us, I want to invite you to share or at least want to share in the psalmist's confession that the Lord can be your chosen portion and cup. You don't have to look for that somewhere else. Money can't buy that. The Lord is your chosen portion and cup because in Jesus Christ, listen to this good news. Ooh, this is good. Man, this is good. The lines have fallen for us in pleasant places amen and indeed we have a beautiful inheritance you do friends in Jesus when we are one of another even in generosity as a community we can truly come to this altar and say we lift up our hearts to the Lord so Lord so friends let's take a moment now to be silent and I want to ask you to discern and invite the spirit to speak the good news that you need to hear this morning when it comes to generosity. And I bet it's a little bit different for everybody. Let's ask the Holy Spirit, would you speak good news to me about wealth and generosity? Bring healing, comfort, and Spirit, invite us into the generosity of your kingdom. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at Rezaustin.com.